So sometimes in order to learn what you don't know, you got to go through something and make some mistakes. I remember back when uh, Katie and I were looking at our first house. Uh, we, we bought a house in 2005, closed on our anniversary, which was kind of a nice little treat. Uh, but we, as we were going through it, just like with any other house purchase, you really don't know what you don't know about buying houses. One of the things I learned very early on in this house buying process, we bought it in the middle of the housing boom, so we're not very smart. But we have a beautiful house and we're very blessed, so we like it. But I didn't know anything about home inspections. I didn't know anything about them. Didn't know what to in expect with an inspection. But I did know there was a lot of nerves and a lot of, oh, are we going to get this house? And, and it was a seller's market. So pretty much if we found something really wrong with the house, we were probably going to end up paying for it. So the inspector came and he was very official looking and he crawled in places, went up in the attic, went in the crawl space, looked outside, you know, kicking the tires on the, on the house kind of thing. No big deal. They found nothing wrong. Sweet. So we closed on the house. And, you know, we, we had it for that first winter in 2005, nothing happened, got to 2006, it was a rather wet winter, and I went into the boys' room, there were no boys yet, but the room that would be theirs, and I look up at the ceiling and it's bulging, and I went, that's not right, see, I knew that much, <laughs> that's not right, and so we went up in the attic, and lo and behold, Apparently, there had been a leak there for quite some time, so much so that the previous owners, not this one, because I didn't go to the attic. What would you go to the attic for, right, at that point in my life? Now it's where we store everything, because we've got three kids. And uh, so I went up in the attic, and there was a gigantic tarp up there covering up most of the insulation, and it was full of about this much water and was now overflowing. And since I knew I didn't put that tarp up there, and that tarp had been up there, I went, Ugh, home inspector, why do you think they'd put a tarp up there right underneath the chimney? Because it was leaking. So I looked at it, and I was like, oh, home inspector, now we fixed it, and everything's great, and as far as we know, there's no leaks up there, no bulging ceilings, been up in the attic a few times this year, nothing going on, praise the Lord. But that home inspector, we put a lot of trust into that home inspector that he knew what he was doing. Now, fast forward about 11 years, and my family, we are at three kids and two adults, so we went from playing man-to-man -man defense to playing zone. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord, we're not double-teamed, but we're close, right? So we decided we needed to get a bigger house, and we wanted a house closer to my previous job in Northeast Portland, but we didn't want to go into Multnomah County, so we were going to move out as far as we could in Clackamas and find a big old house, and we did. We found a really nice house. Thing was, it was on a hill like this. And so we were like, that's oh, not ideal, but it's big, and you know, it's rainy in Oregon, so we'll play indoors most of the time. And so we started putting an offer in on it, and we did a walkthrough, a second walkthrough. And this time we were walking through a little bit differently. We walked down into the basement, and we started looking at the foundation. And being a house on a hill like this, the foundation went way down, and there were all these kind of places to walk. But one thing we noticed was that there were some really large cracks in the foundation. Not only that, but there were these discolorations that made this nice river pattern from water. And so the first thing we said on our offer was, you got to fix that foundation. 
See, if it had been me from 2005, I'd be like, that's some cool colors. That's awesome. Look at that. It's got cracks. That's cool. All right? I, would have, I wouldn't have, I mean, maybe, you know, I probably, my in-laws would have helped me and figure out that that's not a good thing. But the inspector would have dinged them for that, and they would have had to have fixed it. So today, as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is encouraging us to do a home inspection. As a matter of fact, that's his entire focus here, is after he's completed his entire sermon, he wants us to stop and kick the tires on our life. He wants us to get out the flashlight and go into the crawl space and see what our foundation is built on. He's not saying go up to the roof and check for leaks. He's not go around and flush all the toilets. Instead, he says, where's your foundation? Because if your foundation is not where it should be, it doesn't matter how nice the house is. So here's our big point for today. Kingdom citizens wisely obey the words of Jesus and find their security in him. Kingdom citizens, we've been talking about this for a while now, and as we wrap up here in Matthew 7, at the end of Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, as we wrap this up, this is Jesus' last portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been saying this whole time, this is what people are like who are a part of my kingdom. This is what they're like. This is not how you get into the kingdom, it's how you're in the kingdom, and this is what it looks like. So this section appeals back to where we were a couple weeks ago, talking about the wide road and the narrow road and the wide gate and the narrow gate. And then we see the connection to today in that in the wise people were on the narrow and the foolish were on the wide. And the, the, the people that were going to stand were on the narrow and those who were going to destruction were on the wide. So today we see the, the, the wise builder who builds on the rock and survives. And we see the foolish builder who builds on the sand and is destroyed. This is one of the most famous teachings in all of the New Testament by Jesus. And it's hard not to want to sing some of the songs related to it, but I will spare you. However, I think this gets misunderstood sometimes. We look at it and we say, this is a Christian and a non-Christian. So the Christian has built his house on the rock, which is true. But the person who builds the house on the sand is not a non-Christian per se, and we would say, well, the non-Christian is foolish and stupid, so the message is, don't be stupid. Build your house on the rock. And that's how we kind of approach it. And that may be a very simplest, simple reading of it, but there's more to it than that. And so as we go through it today, I, I hope that, that you are blessed by what we see here because I feel like it speaks to every single person in this room. This is not an us versus them. It's an us and us issue that we're going to be looking at which in keeping with where we've already been with Jesus. Jesus is all about, are you a genuine or are you a false believer? And we see the same thing here. So if you'll read with me, we're in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 24 through 27. This is what it says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the very first thing we see right at the beginning is that it starts off with the word everyone. Now if you remember last week, we left off with many will say, Lord, Lord. 
And that was the, the picture that there are many people inside of our church and inside of our world who think they're right with God, but because of the fact that all they've done is listened or paid lip service to him, but haven't actually let him put root in the heart, they are false believers. They're not the genuine deal. But in here, he says, everyone. So this is an open invitation. Every single person, no matter where you are, if you hear and obey, you are wise. It's Jesus's little equation about how to make sense of what wisdom is. Notice he says, does the words of mine. He does them, acts on them, puts them into practice. Now this is not saying, again, this is, Jesus is not changing his mind after a few verses before when he talked about you're not saved by what you do. He's not changing it here. Remember, his entire point is you are a follower, and then this is what a follower acts like. So we can't get the cart in front of the horse here. It's not I do this to be a follower. I'm a follower, and this is what followers do. So there's three things in this passage that I want to address. I want to address the storm. I want to address the building and builders. And I want to address the foundation. And I think as we look through this, this will help us get kind of a clear picture of what's going on. So let's talk about the storm first. In Israel, I think a few of you just got back from there. Uh, in Israel, there are what are called wadis. And I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. But a wadi is a dry gulch or a dry riverbed. And they're numerous throughout Israel. And these would be an ideal place to build a house because it's already cleared off for you and it's relatively flat. However, if you build a house there, you're running the risk of, if the rains come, that you're going to get washed away. So this is why Jesus tells this kind of mini parable here. Now, a parable comes from the, the Greek word para, which means with. It's to put alongside is what a parable is. Jesus says, here's my teaching, now here's my explanation in story form. And Jesus does that. He says, they are like a wise man. They are like a foolish man. Those tempted to erect those temporary shelters will have a rude awakening. Because it's not just the little rain. Notice what it says here. It says, the rain and the wind and the floods. It's a triple attack. It's not just a little rain. It's not just wind, it's rain and wind, and then because of those together, we're seeing gigantic floods. God's wrath in the Old Testament is described as a storm multiple times. The most kind of straightforward is from Ezekiel chapter 13, which says, precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace when there's no peace, and because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain. And you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, it will, not be, not, it will, it, will it not be said to you, where is the coating which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath. And there will be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. So this, this storm that is being described here by Christ. All the commentators agree it is the final judgment. It is the, the judgment that comes that separates the sheep from the goats. It separates those who are going to eternal rest from eternal damnation. It is those who hear and believe. One author writes, we must hear Jesus when he says there's a storm coming. He's not talking about those things like the storms in our lives. 
Those storms are real and painful, and the, the Bible addresses them. However, Jesus is referring to the cataclysmic reality of a final future judgment. And I agree. Jesus is talking about the final judgment. However, I kind of want to go, hmm, what if it's a little bit more than that? And I think it is. Because here's the thing. If Jesus was saying, hey guys, build your foundation and you're good to go. And hopefully when you get to stand before me in heaven, your foundation goes all the way down. But you won't know until you get there. If that's what Jesus is doing here, if that's what Jesus' teaching is, this is a ridiculously hard teaching. Not the kind of hard that Jesus is, we're used to with Jesus, but virtually impossible. Hey guys, go ahead and build your foundation on the right thing, but you won't know till you're dead. Seems like it might be a little too late. So what is Jesus doing here? What he's doing here is he's saying, there is going to be a great storm, and it is going to be devastating for those who built their house on the sand. However, in my mercy, I'm going to allow the storms of life to hit you, and if you start to feel some movement, it's time to change your foundation. See, that's what, Jesus, that's what Jesus is teaching here. This is one of those times where Jesus' uh, his, his intelligence and his brilliance and his wisdom is far surpassing what we think it says at, at very much the, the, the shallow level. Yes, it's about the final judgment, but it's also about those little teeny storms, which by comparison are tiny like the little, little, uh, little whirlwinds that you see when you're in eastern Oregon and it's this little bit of dust and you're like, oh, that's a cute little tornado compared to the Category 5 hurricane that will be the final judgment. And I'm not saying that to put down the storms of your life, but recognize by comparison, it's an apt comparison. So when we have these storms of life, when those things come along, it's not batten down the hatches and hopefully we'll survive. It's this storm is here for a reason. Get the flashlight out and see where my foundation is. And if I look at my foundation, whether I've been in church for 60 years or this is my first time, I get down in there and I go, is my foundation in Christ? And if it's not, praise God, it's not the final judgment. You still have time. Stop worrying about the house and start worrying about the foundation. One other thing to notice before we move into the builders and the buildings is that Jesus doesn't say those who follow him will not experience any storms. He doesn't say that. What he says here is both houses get the storm. Well, why doesn't he make the, the storm not go to, the, to the, the house with the good foundation? Wouldn't that be fair? Yes, it would be fair. But that's not the way the Lord works this. The way the Lord works this is he wants us to continue to dig deeper. So if your foundation's in the right place, it could go deeper. It can go farther down. You can't go up with the house until you go farther down at the foundation. And so there's this picture of you're going to get battered by the storms of life, but that's going to make each and every one of us want to go deeper into him. So if you're in the storm of life right now, it's not because the Lord says your foundation's in the wrong place. He wants you to inspect. He wants the home inspection to look and see, can I go deeper? Are my, is my foundation deep enough? Remember when we talked about the good tree and the bad tree? And we talked about how the good tree's roots go down deep. Well, a tree that's living, its roots don't stay in the same spot. They're constantly going deeper. Same thing when it comes here. So this judgment is going to happen. Some will stand and some will fail. Now the builders and the buildings. 
First thing we need to make sure we understand is that wise and foolish doesn't mean smart and stupid. Okay? That's not what that means. It's not like the wise people are the ones who, you know, they, they consulted all the right architectural schematics and things like that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The wise and foolish corresponds directly to the wise are those who obey, the foolish are those who disobey. And maybe not even disobey, just disregard and just leave it alone. The word fool here is the word moro, which is where we get the word moron from. See, this is Jesus' way of categorizing. He says there's wise people and there's foolish people. The wise people are not known by being the smartest, having the most letters after their name, being a doctor or something like that. Instead, they are wise because they follow Christ. And the fools could have all the degrees you could imagine and have books upon books written and, and written about them. But if they're not obedient to Christ, they are fools. So this is the picture. This is the category that Jesus gives us. Notice these builders are actually very similar. I see four ways that they're similar. The first way is that they both heard the same sermon. They both heard the same gospel. They heard the same words. So the first thing we see is this is not a, you got people over here that have heard and people over here that haven't. No, they both heard the same thing. It says they heard Jesus' words. One obeys, one doesn't obey. The second thing we see is both proceeded to build a house after they heard the message. They didn't go, nah, I'm good with my tent. I'll just go sleep over here. They said, no, I, this is important. This message matters. I'm going to do something about it. And they began building a house, erecting a life on that spot. The desire for a dwelling place for themselves and their family. The third thing we see is that they build their houses in a similar location. How do we know that? Well, the same storm hits both of them. Now, granted, it could be a very gigantic storm, but the idea here is that they, they're both experiencing the same area. And then finally, the same word is used for both houses, which I take to mean that these houses were very similar. It wasn't like the, the wise man's house had been you know, uh, raided for a hurricane and the foolish man's wasn't. These are the same houses, so much so that Jesus says, you see these two houses? They're the same. All that's different is the foundation. See, these builders had to decide, am I going to follow the master's designs for my life, or am I going to follow my own way? The foolish man says, I got this, Jesus. It's mine. The wise man says, I'm going to do what Jesus says. This reminds me of the story of Lot in the Old Testament. When given the chance to choose two different places, he chose the one that looked pleasing to the eye, not recognizing that that was the place that was going to lead him astray. Now, the builder picks the spot. And basically says, to hell with the consequences, I know better. We need to recognize here that these two builders, were, were not, they, their houses were not destroyed from lack of effort. Both guys put in the effort. The, the foolish builder, he put more and more effort into it. And the more effort he put into his house, the greater the loss is going to be. And we think about that, you know, the, the, when we see people who invest, we go, oh, that was a poor investment because they lost it, not because they put a lot into it. We don't go, oh, you put $10 billion? Oh, that's such a poor investment, but I'm so proud of you. We don't do that. So it doesn't matter how much we invest into our houses. If they're not on the right foundation, it doesn't matter. The house will fall. One translation says, the house fell and its destruction was great. Which I think ties it right, again, back to what we saw with that wide road. The wide road that leads to destruction. 
Spurgeon, it's, there, there's going to be a couple of Spurgeon quotes in here, and they're straight fire. So hopefully you guys will not get too singed. This one's a light one, so let it, let, let it be worn for you guys. He says, yet though he, the foolish man, was industrious, he was a fool. His crash was terrible, and it was heard from afar off. The overflow was final and irretrievable. Many heard the fall, and many more saw the ruins as a memorial of the folly of hearing and neglecting of doing. We must hear and obey. It's not enough just to hear. So there's the builders and the buildings. Now we move to the foundation. So Jesus is saying here, this entire little mini parable is there's two foundations. There's only two. There's not a partial foundation and a partial non-foundation. It's either a foundation or no foundation. And Jesus is not saying, hey, let me give you three steps to have a better foundation. He says, no, I am the foundation. Build on me. If you don't build on me, there is no foundation. And this is not any different than what Jesus has been teaching the whole time. We've already seen this. The two ways, the two, the two paths, the two gates, the two trees. All throughout, he's saying there's my kingdom and then there's not my kingdom. There's not a little bit of both. We would love for it to be a little bit of both. Jesus alone. It's as simple as that. It's this foundation and none other. His teaching is the only one that leads to eternal life. It's interesting, though, when you look at through history, and I love studying history, when you look through history, it's just littered with people that go, I'm going to build my life on this. I'm going to build my life on that. And unfortunately, they are building them on temporal things that go away, that will be gone. This parable of the two identical houses, Jesus is keeping his discussion on the genuine versus the false believers. Both of these groups claim to be believers. They build a house on sand and others on rocks. But there's another group that we need to mention here. And I kind of alluded to it a minute ago. It's a third group that has no use for God, no use for Jesus, doesn't want to hear anything, and they're camped out in a tent somewhere. They're not building a house. They're not inside of the Christian community trying to build a house. The people who are foolish are trying to build it on their own. People that are wise are building it on Christ. Then there's people outside that are not, have nothing to do with Christ. If this is new to you and you're here today or you're watching us online and you're, you're seeing this, understand that your house will not survive any storm, not to mention the storm at the end, the judgment storm, but the storms of life, you will be battered and blown away. And we're seeing that throughout our world. We need to share the fact that we know there is a firm foundation and there is hope and there is the way to survive the storms because folks, yeah, 2020 was terrible. 2021 wasn't much better. I guarantee you from now on, it's gonna get bad. There's gonna be storms. Are you gonna stand in those storms because your foundation's solid or is, your or is the storm gonna take you? John Stott put it this way. He said, both of these people, the two houses, read the Bible, they go to church, they listen to sermons, they buy the Christian literature. The reason you can't tell the difference between them is that the deep foundations of their lives are hidden from view. Foundations are not exciting. Let's just be honest. They don't go, we don't go looking at foundations. No, we look at the houses, we fawn over them. My beautiful wife loves Redfin. Redfin's an app where you can go and you can look at houses. Don't worry, we're not moving away. We're trying to move closer, all right? But this idea of looking at houses and you scroll through all these pictures 
And you look at, oh, there's a front view, and there's an aerial view, and there's a side view, and a street view, and they go through, and it's all these. They even have it where you can push a button and watch a video of someone walking through three-dimensional so you can see everything. It's amazing. But not one of them is a close-up or even anywhere on the foundation. Hey, come look at our house. We've got a great foundation. I mean, check out the foundation, right? I mean, it's all about sight lines and open concept and, you know, a man cave or a music room or any of that. That's in the pictures, not the, hey, our foundation has stood for 30 years and it's going strong. Let's, let's come by this house for the foundation. But ultimately, that's where we are to be when it comes to the Lord. We have this, this, this desire to be what I call Instagram Christians. Instagram is an app on your phone where you take a picture and then you share it with the world. And these Instagram pictures, people take hundreds of them and then they post the best one, right? And I, I've seen people post their Bible study and they take a picture and they go hashtag Bible study or hashtag blessed. And it's this beautiful picture. And yes, that may have been a moment of their study, but what is it that we need? We need depth. We need going down deep into God's word, banging our head against a passage, on our knees, weeping and going, Lord, I don't understand. And you got the snot draining and you got the, the tears coming and nobody's taking a picture and God forbid if they post it online. Because the work of our roots and our foundation going deep is not something we share with the world. Instead, we go deep, and then the fruit is what we share with the world. See how this ties into what Jesus talked about a few weeks ago when we talk about the tree? The fruit is what we see, but that fruit doesn't just grow because I took a picture of myself doing it. It grows because I was doing all of the labor behind the scenes for days, for years, for decades to grow into that tree that's growing the fruit. It's not flashy out front stuff that makes one a believer that grows them into a house that is a firm, foundation-laden house. Instead, it's the behind the scenes. See, our foundations, they must go deep. If you build a little dog house, you don't need a foundation. You build a little you know, side house outside, maybe a small one. You build your house with your family a little bit deeper. You build a skyscraper, and that foundation goes down hundreds and hundreds of feet. If you've seen a skyscraper being, being built, first six to ten months is boring as all get out because all they're doing is laying a deeper and deeper and deeper foundation i remember going to new york city with students and we went to the world trade center site which is now where freedom the freedom tower is and i went six times and the first five it was like hey here's the new there's the new world trade center and they're like it's a hole in the ground there's nothing there well what they were doing was they were laying these gigantic columns of concrete with a big steel bar they were going down hundreds and hundreds of feet into solid bedrock so that that tower could go as high as it does which is amazing but that's exactly what the lord wants to build up in us if our foundation doesn't go down and hit bedrock we don't have any way of standing the most important thing about us about our life and our destiny is hidden from the view of others because it's our foundation but the fruit is on display. Spurgeon says, no man is really saved unless he has a heart that is obedient to Christ. Jesus makes it really clear. There's his way, and then there's the way, false way. There's no other way. 
See, we must remember in this section, but previously, last week it was, you say things, but you don't obey me. This week it's, you hear me, but you don't obey me. We need to remember what Thomas Watson said. He said, Judas heard every single sermon that Jesus preached. We need to remember that because you're here and you're hearing this, and maybe you're getting a little beat up by me, I'm sorry, it's the passage, not my fault, but you're getting beat up by this scripture, maybe you've been beat up with this Sermon on the Mount, it's not enough to hear, is what Jesus is saying. You have to obey. Judas heard every single word that Christ uttered prior to his arrest, and yet didn't believe. Hear and obey. Hear and obey. So the only way our home will stand, the only way our life will stand in the judgment is if we have a sound foundation. These small storms that come through are to point us to the fact, oh yeah, I have a foundation. I gotta get down there and check, am I where I need to be? This is why this sermon, this conclusion to this sermon is so appropriate. Jesus says there's only two ways and he's trying his, 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 his darndest to get us to see this is the most important thing. More important than what job you're going to do. More important than who you marry, where you go to college. Do you have enough in your retirement plan? More important than all of that is, are you grounded in the right foundation? Nothing else works. Which road are you traveling? But again, I praise be to the Lord that it's not too late. If you've been in church 80 years and you don't know the Lord, it's not too late. Today's the day. Put your roots down. Put them into that foundation. Because the, assur- the surety we have is that all of us will stand before him in the judgment. All right, so that's the first part of our sermon. The second part is going to deal with these last two verses. These last two verses, if you look at them there, verses 28 and 29, these last two verses kind of seem like a little throwaway, but I want to point out a couple of quick things that tie back to where we are at, and then we'll wrap up. This final section, Jesus, it says, when Jesus had finished, or when Jesus finished saying, and that's one of those little transition sentences that, you know, if we were reading any other book, we'd go, okay, you got to have a transition. I remember, you know, 10th grade English, I know that you got to do that. But that's not what Matthew's doing here. What Matthew's doing is Matthew has five movements in his masterful gospel. And in each movement, at the end of the movement, he says, Jesus is done doing this thing, and then he moves on to the next one. And they build all the way to the cross. We see this here in verse 28. We also see it in chapter 11, verse 1, when it says, when Jesus was done doing these things. And then we see in chapter 13, 53, 19.1 and 26.1. And each of these is the ramping up as we're moving closer and closer to the cross, which is the culmination of Matthew's gospel. And Jesus is saying, I'm moving on to another thing in this story. And Matthew wants us to see that. And Matthew finishes here. Matthew doesn't finish with a description of how great a speaker Jesus was. Doesn't talk about his style. Instead, he focuses on the speaker and the speaker alone. See, Jesus didn't come to preach to show how great a preacher he was. He came to preach so that we would be led to obedience. That is the purpose of what Jesus did here. So as we look at these last two verses, there are two words that describe where we need to be. And we'll dig into these two words. So let's read the passage together. It says, when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. 
So the two words we're going to look at are astounded or astonished and the authority. So astonished, what does this mean? Well, this means they were amazed. They were wowed. They marveled at what Jesus had said. Notice here that there's a crowd. If you remember way back when we started the Sermon on the Mount, it said Jesus brought his disciples to him. And he was preaching to his disciples and a crowd began gathering. Jesus still draws a crowd, doesn't he? You know, every single religion on the earth has to figure out some way to make sense of Jesus. And almost every single one of them says, yeah, Jesus was a pretty good guy. Jesus was a good teacher. He was moral. He was a good moral teacher. And it's just all this Christianity that's gotten him wrong. John Stott shares a story about a Hindu professor that said, I don't understand the Jesus of dogma, of teaching, but the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount I love. A Muslim teacher said, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I cry my eyes out. I sob. I mean, if we think about it, the golden rule, right? Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them. I mean, everybody gets behind that. That's the thing that everybody says, oh, we love that. But the problem is, is that our world, and maybe some of the people that were listening, they want a salad bar, Jesus. Right? They want a little bit of lettuce. They want some tomatoes. They want some cottage cheese. They, oh yeah, those little mini corn things, those are weird. We're not having those. No beets for me. I'll put some salad dressing. Yum. I picked and choose what I wanted of Jesus. The problem with that is that it absolutely destroys your ability to say Jesus was a good moral teacher. If he's a good moral teacher, then everything he said was good. And if everything he said was good, uh-oh, there's some verses that say He's God. He's the judge. Oh yeah, there is a hell. Those are not the ones that people are going to choose. Those are the creepy little corn things that no one wants to eat in the salad bar. Sorry if you like those. I think they're kind of weird. See, we can't divorce Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount from the Jesus of the rest of the New Testament. It's the one and the same. And he doesn't allow us to do that. See, Jesus only gives us really three options. Either he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. If he's a liar, then he died for a lie, and he knew it. He knew he wasn't God, but he's like, I'm going to keep going, and then 2,000 years from now, people are going to worship me. If he's a lunatic, then how on earth could he be a moral teacher? He would be speaking things that were totally false. So that leaves us with one option, he's the Lord. I mean, think about it this way. If, if I was to walk up to someone and say, hey, you know what, I'm here to forgive your sins, you'd go, you must be from Portland, you're crazy. Right? I'm going to get away from me, man. Or if I walk up and I say, I am God, the next thing you're going to say is, okay, you're kind of weird. Show me something. What do you got? Show me some miracle. Let's go. See, Jesus doesn't allow any of those to not be true if they're all true because he is this moral teacher that our world says, yay, he's a good guy. Then the Lord part is true. Jesus does not let us just listen and stay. We either listen and change, or we didn't hear it in the first place. All right, brace yourself. Here comes Spurgeon. Jesus spoke royally. The truth itself was his own argument and demonstration. He taught prophetically as one inspired from above. Men felt that he spoke after the manner of one sent by God. It was no fault on theirs to be astonished, but... It was a grave crime to be astonished and do nothing more. 
If you're astonished by what Jesus has done on the cross for you, if you're amazed by it and it doesn't affect your life, oh, that's a bad place to be in. That's a sand foundation where my life is built on me, but I'm kidding myself that it's based on Christ. The preacher of the Sermon on the Mount is the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about Christ. And he's saying, obey me, I am the Christ, or disobey me, and I'm not covering you. And that's what he's getting after. And see, the crazy part about this is these people that were astonished, they, they were astonished for the right reason. He had authority. This is the second word we're going to look at, authority, which means weight. The, the, Hebrew, the Greek word there is Jesus had weight, meaning he said things and it mattered. The scribes at this time were like lawyers. They didn't make up arguments. All they did was find other people's arguments and lay them out there. One example of this was they had a lively debate about how to light a lamp for the Sabbath. And one would say, well, you can light the lamp and you can use this kind of oil and it's great. Then this other one says, no, you can use flax oil because flax oil is great. Then another one says, well, flax oil is known to be unclean, so therefore you shouldn't use it. And then there's another one that says, well, flax oil is clean, but as long as you use it on a Tuesday and you wash your hands afterwards, it's okay. And they would go back and forth and these scribes would throw out all these ideas, probably originally from a good heart of wanting to be right with the Lord. But by the time Jesus came along, the scribes just said, here it all is, you choose. And Jesus comes along and he doesn't say, I was trained by Gamaliel and Gamaliel said this. Jesus comes along and said, you heard it say, I say. He comes along and he says, I am saying this. And the crowds were astonished because Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the one who gives the law. And if that is true, then why are we not following him? Jesus made it clear. See, the, the teachers were all about self-effacing. They would put somebody else up. Jesus is self-authenticating. He stands up and he says, I am God. See, look. They point away from themselves. Jesus says, I am the way. Not that God will make a way. No, I am the way. Jesus' authority as teacher, no one taught like him. Jesus' authority as Christ. He doesn't say, I was born. He said, I have come. Jesus' authority as Lord. Many will say, Lord, Lord. Jesus' authority as Savior. He says, you're going to be salt and light to change and save the world because you are following me. Jesus is judge. I declare I never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus' authority as the Son of God. He says, my Father. Not our Father, but my Father. And finally, Jesus is authority as God. When you are persecuted like the prophets. Why were the prophets persecuted? They followed God. Why are we persecuted? Following Christ, because he is God. This Sermon on the Mount is serious business. And if Jesus was serious, and he's the smartest man that ever lived, he's the most in touch with God man who ever lived, what are we doing not following him? We treat him kind of like a spiritual Mr. Miyagi, or that, that kind of quirky uncle of yours that you go, oh, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing, but I'm going to do my own thing. We cannot live that way. Our foundation is in the wrong place. And this is where the good news comes in. We can be born again. Kingdom citizens, if you are, 
if you are thinking you're a part of this and you're, you're looking at your life and you're going, I have no idea, get down in the crawl space, see where your foundation is. Some of you don't even know it need to go there. You already know your foundation is not where it's supposed to be. Ask the Lord and he will help grow that foundation in you. See, our commitment to Christ, if we truly believe he is who he says he is, our commitment has to be wholehearted, complete. Because ultimately, Jesus was serious. Imagine how it would be if we took Jesus' words seriously and lived that out. Just this church. And imagine if all the churches in the world did that. Imagine what our world would look like if we took Jesus' words seriously. So do you believe that Jesus has authority? Do you believe that he has authority over your life? Some will say, I like Jesus, but I really don't. I don't want him telling me what to do. Some will say, I, I just want the parts of Jesus' thing that get me into heaven. No, that doesn't work. It's all or nothing. And Christ has made this clear throughout. Jesus is making claims on your life that you can either acknowledge and put your foundation on the rock, or you can pretend and your foundation is on the sand. The question is today, are you going to hear these words that we've just gone over and obey, or are you going to hear these words and walk away? It's a simple choice, but it's the most impactful and meaningful choice in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to read your word, Lord, that we get to see exactly who you are. You did not hide it from us. You did not cover it up. Instead, Lord, you laid it right out there for us to see. I pray, Lord, that you would help drive our foundation deeper into you. Lord, and I pray for those whose foundation is not where it should be. I pray that you would do a work right now. Lord, and pick up that house and move it to the rock in their lives. Lord, your spirit is at work and your spirit's doing the thing right now. So I pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that work. Help us not to settle for a little bit of obedience, but complete obedience. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God that is trustworthy and true, that we can trust you, that you are God and your Son is Lord and your Spirit is our helper to help us do this incredible thing. Oh, we love you, Lord, in your name, amen.